How are you guys doing this morning? Woo! Did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Oh, okay, a few of you. You didn't eat enough, or maybe you ate too much and you're still kind of in a food coma. You know, Thanksgiving is one of my absolute favorite times because it's like you have people over, you go over to your family's house, and everybody brings like their favorite side dish. And so you just got like a smorgasbord or however you say it of like all this incredible food and you just get to stuff your face forever. You know, a few weeks ago I had some of the staff ladies over at my house and for those of you that don't know me, my name is Shayla. I'm actually Pastor TJ's wife and I usually lead over at our Pompano Beach campus. But Pastor TJ has taken um, the last two weekends off last week and this week and he will be back next week. Last, or not last week, but the week prior he was in Cuba with some of our worship team. And many of you guys know there's so much happening in Cuba right now, but it's, it's a country that's really just opened up for people to go over there and really do ministry and stuff. And so we had an opportunity to go over there as our church and some of our pastors and our worship team is to go over there and do a pastor's conference and train up some pastors that are there, but also to do some youth concerts, some Christian youth concerts. And our worship team, we were so proud of them. They went over and did several um, concerts for, for youth. And one of those concerts, 1,200 kids came out. And that was actually one of the largest Christian concert gatherings of students in the history of Cuba. And you guys, our church, got to be part of seeing hundreds of kids give their lives to Christ. So I just want to, first of all, say thank you to you guys. Because when you give and when you serve and when you do all of those things, it doesn't just go to affect people's lives in our community. But it is happening all across the world. So thank you guys so much for the contributions that you make um, to this church. But So Pastor TJ's had a few weeks off. And he asked me to share this morning to kind of close out this series on fear. How many of you guys have been enjoying this series? I mean, so many of us, I don't care who you are, we deal with fear on some level in our life. I mean, fear is something that plagues so many of us in our everyday lives. And so this morning, I want to talk to you guys about something that is kind of rooted and based in fear that we all deal with, and that's the word insecurity. Because insecurity takes place in our life, and really insecurity is something that starts with fear. Fear that I'm not good enough, fear that I don't look good enough, fear that I won't have enough things. And so insecurity is really this fear-based thing. And one thing that I really love and value so much about our church is we have, we have diversity. And I love that because we have people here that are old, and I'm not really going to define what, what old looks like because that can sometimes get you in trouble. And then, you can't, then we have young people, and then we have hipsters, and we have Democrats, and we have Republicans, and we have Libertarians, and we have Vegetarians, and we have like all of these different types of people that make up our church. And I love the differences that we possess within our congregation. But there's also some things that are really, really in common for all of us. And it's not our differences that unite us, it's the things that we have in common. And sometimes the things that we have in common can be extremely negative things like insecurity that holds us all back. And so today I think that we can all relate to something that we have in common, and that's insecurity. And that we all struggle with some type of that. And I would say, hey, raise your hand if you struggle with insecurity. But if you're really an insecure person, you'd be like, I can't raise my hand because I'm not really sure what she's doing and I don't really know and I'm kind of like insecure about this. I... 
But today I want to talk to you guys about some insecurities that I think we all have. And so if you're taking notes, I want you guys to see if you can identify with any of these. The first one is physical insecurity. Let me ask you guys this. If, how many of you guys would just change maybe just one thing about your physical appearance? Just one. Okay, half of us. The rest of it, hey, you look around. Anybody that doesn't have their hands raised, they are a supermodel. And we would love to meet them after service because I don't have that status yet. But there's always something that we can change about our physical appearance because we all have these insecurities. Now, growing up, I was a little girl, and I still have this, but I had freckles and very fair skin. And so in, like, elementary school, kids would always make fun of me. And how many kids can be cruel sometimes? And I would, like, go into class, and I would get that freckle face and, you know, all of those different things. And I used to be so insecure about the fact that I had freckles and fair skin that sometimes I would, I would be like, I want to put stuff on to cover it up. Like, I didn't like who I was because people looked at me and saw me different, and I became insecure about who I was. And then as I got older, I was this pasty, white girl. And still to this day, you will rarely see me in shorts because without fail, I will put on a pair of shorts, and I'll go out with some people, and I'll go to the beach or something like that, and somebody is going to look at me and go, oh my gosh, Shayla, you are blinding me because you are so white. And I'm just like, oh, I can't even wear shorts because there's always something that I don't like about myself or that we don't like about ourselves because there's this physical insecurity that plays out in all of us, whether you're comparing to yourself to yourself 20 years ago, whether it's to somebody else that you think looks better than you or somebody that you've seen on TV, we all deal with some level of physical insecurity. And then there's emotional insecurity. Because there are days when, come on, we think, man, I, I got this. We got it all together. Everything is going great. And then the very next day, you can feel like everything is going to fall apart. And it's like, have you ever had that thought, if one more thing happens, I am going to lose my mind. Because there is this emotional insecurity that takes place where we just feel like, man, maybe I don't have it all together. That person seems to be able to handle that challenge, or that person seems to be able to stride through life just fine. Why can't I handle these things? And we deal with this emotional insecurity. I mean, how, how many of us haven't dealt with financial insecurity? I mean, all you have to do is like go home, turn on the news, and it's like the stock market is going to crash and we are all going to die. I mean, like financial insecurity is all over the place, and that's where like our life and our security seems to rise and fall with what's in our bank account. And we think, well, I'm not going to have enough to do this, or I'm not going to have enough to do that, and it creates this instability in our life because financially we aren't in a secure place. And then last but not least is the most detrimental one, and that's spiritual insecurity. And this one is huge because I would bet that for most of you, this is going to be a shocker, you are not the godliest person you know. Light bulb. I mean, and I'm, I'm going to clue you in on something. I'm not the godliest person I know. Pastor TJ is not the godliest person I know. Don't tell him. <laughs> Like, he's not, he, I live with him. Like, he gets up here and says a lot of stuff because I'm not here, 
And so this is our turn to keep it a secret, okay? But he's not the godliest person I know. I mean, let's be honest. There can be somebody that walks into a room and they start praying. And you're like, oh God, I don't want to go after them. Like they pray like they actually know Jesus and they are just like raining it down from heaven and it gets to your turn and you're like, dear God, I'm just standing here pulling on my pants leg because I really just don't even know what to do. I mean, there's these people that have this incredible prayer life. And then there's people that have the incredible ability to, to read the Bible and get something out of it. I mean, it's like there's some people that don't even understand or, or, or are confident in reading the Bible, but there's other people that would step into this place and they're like, oh, you're talking about the Bible? I read t- 17 chapters yesterday. Like 17 chapters. Where do you get all that time? I mean, it's crazy. And then there's, then there's these people that nothing seems to rattle them. Like they have this incredible gift of faith. There's this woman at our Pompano Beach campus, and she recently had a baby. And that infant, as soon as it was born, had a heart condition that they had to do immediate surgery. And they were bay flighting or flying that child to, to Miami Children's Hospital. And I remember finding this out and calling this woman and saying, hey, what do you need? I know it's 11 o'clock at night, but I will come to your house. I will pray with you. I will do whatever you need. She's like, you know what, Shayla? God's got this. We're just going to go ahead and go to sleep. And we'll get up in the morning and we'll go be there and she's going to be fine. And I was like, I mean, there's, there's these people that have this incredible ability that no matter what is happening in life, that they're just able to kind of walk through it with all confidence. And we all know those people, but the reality is, is we look around at the people that can pray and read the Bible and just have this incredible faith, and we're like, well, I'm not like them, so why should I even try? And it creates this incredible spiritual insecurity that plays out in our life. And get this, if we can establish spiritual security in our relationship with God, then the other three, they don't go away. They just get a whole lot easier to deal with. And so today I'm not going to talk to you guys about how to be more physically secure, how to be more emotionally secure, financially secure. I'm going to talk to you guys about how to find your identity in Christ. Because I think so many of us are walking around in this life carrying this fear, carrying this insecurity, carrying so many different things because we are so dependent and defined by those things in our life rather than knowing who we are in Christ. And so in 2 Corinthians 10, 15, it says this. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. See, what this is saying right here is that there's going to be a lot of thoughts that enter your mind. There's going to be a lot of lies. There's going to be a lot of things that say you're not good enough or you can't do this or you don't look the part or you don't have enough money. There's going to be a lot of things that enter here. But God's word is saying you have to take that thought captive and you have to make it obedient to Christ, which says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, it starts right here. And when we can establish spiritual security in our relationship with God, it will change everything else. And I want to talk to you guys about a very interesting story in the Bible about a guy named Hosea. Everybody say Hosea. 
Now, the name Hosea actually means salvation. Hosea means salvation, and this story actually takes place in about 750 B.C., and the northern kingdom of, there was the northern kingdom of Israel, and there was the southern kingdom of Israel, but the northern kingdom of Israel had turned their back on God. They were no longer interested in God. They were no longer interested in his ways. And God sends a man named Hosea, which means salvation, to these people. So in other words, God sent salvation to a group of people that weren't looking for him at all. And I think that's the situation for most of us in our life is we're so dependent and defined by so much that's happening around us and God is sending something to a group of us, to all of us, to rescue us and bring us out of something. But God tells Hosea, he says, before you go, I want you to do something. I want you to get married. And we're going to read a little bit about the story of Hosea. In Hosea 1, 2, and 3, it says this. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. Excuse me? Like, okay, there's people out there that are like, the Bible is so boring. Let me tell you, God is telling this man to go marry a prostitute. This is like pretty woman thousands of years ago, like in the Bible. He's telling this dude to go marry a prostitute. He's not saying go sleep with her. He's saying go marry her. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And then it gets even better. So he marries Gomer. What a name. Gomer. Sounds weird. But even though it sounds weird, listen to this. The name Gomer means completion. So God is bringing together salvation and completion. Not only just for a nation of people that are running from him, but also for an individual. And so he married Gomer, the daughter of that guy, and she conceived and she bore him a son. So Gomer marries Hosea, and she goes on to have three children. Now two of these children are actually in question if they're Hosea's. It's kind of like mommy's baby, daddy's maybe sort of deal. Like he, she's not really sure, he's not really sure if that's his because guess what? Gomer has started going back to her old life. See, she started going back to promiscuity. She started going back to, to prostitution. She stepped back into what she used to do. Basically, she's walking away from salvation. She is walking away from Hosea. So basically this man has come and he's rescued her and he's redeemed her from this horrible life that she was living before and she ends up going back to that old life. She ends up cheating on him multiple times and just ends up walking back into prostitution. But a few chapters later, Hosea shows us this beautiful picture of forgiveness and unconditional love because after she's walked out on him, God tells Hosea, I want you to go back and get the wife that you love. I want you to go back after her. And we're going to pick up in Hosea 3.1 and it says this, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. 
though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and they love the sacred raisin cakes. I mean, those sacred raisin cakes. They will get you every single time. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lek of barley. And I told her, you're to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any other man, and I will do the same towards you. Basically, he's saying, look, Gomer, I don't care that you've gone back to all of that. I don't care that you cheated on me. I don't care that you walked out on me. I want you back. And so many times when I've heard this story told, I've heard it told in this attitude, in this light of, man, this forgiveness and this love that's been extended to Gomer. And, oh, Hosea is this incredible man, and he is. But today, I want to look at this story through Gomer's eyes. Because Gomer is the one that is really, really interesting to me. I mean, why did she walk away? Why did she leave something that was so incredible, something that was so redeeming, something that rescued her from this miserable life? Why would she do that? Why would she walk away? And if we're being really honest, I think that the majority of us that are sitting in this room today have more in common with Gomer than we do Hosea. And if we really ask ourselves, why did she walk away? I really, really think that it comes down to an insecurity that was plaguing her life. In fact, I have several statements that I want to make today. So if you guys were taking notes, the first one is this. Finding my identity in my insecurity will result in an inability to be fully alive. Finding my identity in my insecurity will result in an inability to be fully alive. See, I think so many of us, when we are bound by our insecurity and we were, when we are led by our insecurity, it keeps us from living this full life because we are always scared to step out and take that next step in a relationship or take that step in a business or take that step financially. We're always kind of taking a step back because we're just a little unsure and it keeps us from living fully alive because we found our identity so many times more in our insecurity than in Jesus Christ. TJ and I, many years ago when we were first married, we were living in the Bradenton, Sarasota area, and we were traveling to TJ's dad's house for Thanksgiving, and he lived in, like, Cape Coral area. And so we had Thanksgiving with his family, and it was incredible, and we got back in the car, and we were driving home, and it was kind of like a dreary, rainy day. And we were driving down I-75, and the rain had just kind of slowed to a drizzle. And so as we're driving, we're just kind of coasting along and talking back and forth and all of that stuff. And let me just tell you, my husband is just a phenomenal driver. All men are, you know. And, oh, sorry. They're laughing. They're going, yeah, we think that about women, too. So we're driving down the road, and we hit this spot of water. And the car starts to hydroplane. And because TJ is such a good driver, he just starts turning the wheel in the opposite direction. And we start literally doing 360s 
across three lanes of traffic on I-75. And then, because he is a great driver, he starts turning the wheel the other way, and we start doing 360s the other way down I-75. And then, guess what? He got even better. And he, like, turned the wheel the other way, and we are spinning back across I-75. And we go down the embankment, and we hit a tree. You guys, the whole time, I am like, oh, my God, we're going to die. And I am, like, freaking out. And so we hit the tree, and we're sitting there. Airbags didn't go off, nothing. But there, there was impact, and I'm just like, oh, my God, am I still, like, making sure I'm, like, still alive and there. And I remember TJ in all of his sweetness. He, why are you laughing? He, he turns over to me. He's like, Shayla, are you okay? I said, yeah. I, I mean, I think I'm okay. I think I'm still alive. And he just looks at me, and he's like, okay, good. That was awesome! That was awesome! And you know what I was thinking as I was preparing for this message? That's how God wants us to live, fully alive. In every single moment of our life, that no matter what is happening, no matter what situation we're walking through, no matter what fear, no matter what insecurity, no matter what life throws our way, that we can look at it and go, yeah, that happened, but I'm still here. That was awesome. Because you know what? Our life was not just meant, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could live this miserable life. He died on the cross so that we could have salvation and so that we could be fully alive in every moment, in every situation of our life. In John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I think there's a lot of people that will tell you, oh, you know what? If you become a Christian, it is all about the don'ts. It's all about the rules. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. Like just all of these different rules and things that we're not supposed to do as a Christian. But that's not what I see. I see Jesus continuing to say, but I have come so that they may have life, and they may have it to the what? To the full. That we would be fully alive. And so many of us have been walking around living these insecure lives. And I think that there's a lot of people that find Christianity unattractive because you've never seen the life that it comes with. Because let me tell you something, my life has, as a Christian have been the greatest years of my life. You know what, I am full of more expectancy, more joy, more hope, more peace, more purpose than any time in my life. And I can step into these places and you can step into these places that when we are secure in our relationship with God and not defined by our insecurities that we can be fully alive because we can look back and we can say, I once was lost but now I see. 
I once was dead, but now I'm alive because God has given me new hope and new purpose and he's restored things and he's given me new life again. See, God wants us to be fully alive. And imagine this for a second. I think the reason that Gomer walked away from Hosea, that completion walked away from salvation, is because she couldn't quite get over what she used to do. See, her past robbed her of her joy and her inability to live. And I can imagine her having thoughts probably like you and I do. She probably had thoughts like this. Hey, Gomer, he doesn't really love you. The only reason he married you is because God told him to. I mean, Gomer, let's, let's, let's just admit it. He could have done far better than you. And I don't know for a fact that Gomer had those kinds of thoughts, but I think that it was those kinds of thoughts that probably lured her away from the life that she had with Hosea. And that's how the enemy works. Every single time he comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. And we are not spiritually secure in our relationship with Christ. We will always go back to what we used to do before we met Jesus. See, it always lures us back into our past. And I think that's why Gomer walked away. I think she had an inability, like so many of us, to truly enjoy her brand new life because of all of the insecurity that had been created before she met Hosea. Have you ever realized that your past always has a way of working its way into your present? Do you know that every time I drive in the rain now, I'm scared that I'm going to get in an accident? Because that one thing in my past has created insecurity in my present. And the same thing happens in relationships and in finances and all of those things because we all have a past that's trying to work its way into our present and create insecurity in our life and fear and worry. Number two is finding my identity and my insecurity will lead to an instability in my walk with God. See, when we find our identity and our insecurity, whether it's physical insecurity, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not macho enough, I don't look good enough, emotional insecurity, I'm jacked up, I'm messed up, I'm unstable, I'm not stable enough to have these relationships, financial insecurity, I don't have as much as, as so-and-so, or I'm going broke, or I'm not going to be able to provide for our family, or spiritual insecurity that just says to us, you're not good enough. You are not good enough. Spiritual insecurity says to us, you know, I know what you did. I know who you are when you're all by yourself. You know what? You think you can put on a pretty show and you can fool all the people around you, but I know who you really are and you're not good enough. And spiritual insecurity just creates an, in us an inability for us to walk with God because we are so focused on what's wrong with us that we cannot focus on what's right with God. 
We are so focused on what is wrong with us that we can't focus on what's right with God. Have you guys ever seen that movie, the one where the guy's like, hello, Clarice? What movie is it? Silence of the Lambs. This lady literally goes and sits and talks to a psychopath every single day. But you know what? I think that's the reality of a lot of our lives. I think every single day, a lot of us, me included, have a conversation with a psychopath called the enemy, called the deceiver. And every single day, we're listening to the things that, that he's feeding us inside that is just creating this insecurity. Because I bet that he would say things to Gomer like this. Goes, Gomer, Hosea, he's never really going to love you. Your salvation, it's not real. I mean, it might have been real, but when you went back and you did that one thing with that one guy and you got pregnant, and then you did that other thing with that other guy and you got pregnant, I mean, come on, Gomer, he's a preacher and you have a bad name. He doesn't need you dragging him down. I mean, Gomer, you'll just never be good enough for Hosea. And the reason I say that is because I bet that there's people that are sitting in this room today that have walked away from God. Or maybe you're considering walking away from God or maybe something that, that God has placed in your life. And the reason that you're considering it is because you've had this in your mind. You're just not good enough. You just, you don't have what it takes. You're not even good enough to call yourself a Christian. I mean, if you were a Christian, why would you go do that? Why would you go there? Why would you say that? You are just not good enough. And we have so much spiritual insecurity in us, and I want you guys to get this, that many times it becomes easier to walk away from Jesus than to actually deal with and rep or repent of the hurt that's in our life. So many times it's easier to walk away than to deal with it. And that's a dangerous, dangerous place. Because as individuals, we need to find our identity in the person and the work of Jesus and not our works. Not what we can do, not what we can produce, not what we can do in our activity for Christ, but find our identity in what he did for us. Which leads me to number three, finding my identity in Christ impacts my life immediately and eternally. And I could ask everybody for a show of hands right now, who's a Christian, who's not a Christian, some would raise their hand, but that's not what I'm asking. I want to know who are those people that find their identity in Christ because you just know that Jesus loves you and that's who you are. You are a child of God. How many, how many parents do we have out there? A couple parents? Do you love your kids? Yes. As a parent, you love your kids. Now, when your kids were born, I've heard these stories, as soon as that child came out, you immediately fell in love with them. It was like all of the sudden, you've never met this person, but you are so in love with this gift that God just gave you. 
I mean, you didn't care about all that slime all over them and all that icky kind of stuff. And, you know, sometimes newborns look a little funny, but you know what? You, it didn't matter. You loved them. Now, let me ask you a question. At that point, what did your kids do to deserve your love? Nothing. They didn't do anything. Your love for your child exploded in your heart the moment you saw them. I mean, they didn't work real hard. It wasn't like they were born and you were like, well, let's get through kindergarten and we'll see if you can color in the lines. And then maybe I will call you my son. Or you know what? Well, let me see if I approve of your life plan. Because, you know what, I don't really want you to do any of that artsy stuff. I kind of would like you to be more of an athlete. So I'd like you just to play basketball, maybe some football, a little bit of that. So we'll see what your life plan looks like, and then maybe I'll call you my son. I mean, let's be honest. If you have a kid, the first, that kid spends the first two years of their life trying to get you not to love them. I mean, did, you, did your sleep increase or decrease when you had kids? I mean, I can tell who has kids by walking out here in the lobby or the breezeway. It's like the walking dead out there. I mean, like you can tell who has young children. I mean, how many of you guys have had kids throw up on you? You know what? My parents told me the story that when I was a baby, um, I had just finished eating, and my dad was like, oh, I want to play with Shayla. So he's like swinging me around and throwing me up and turning me around and doing all this stuff. Threw me up in the air and caught me, and he's like, oh, Shayla. And I threw up right in his mouth. Like, disgusting. But how many of you guys have had kids go to the bathroom on you? I mean, they used the bathroom on you. And it wasn't like you were like, that is it. I am done. I am done with this. No, you can't stop loving your child. Why? Because that child is yours. That child belongs to you. In the same way that you love your child, God loves you so much more. And when we can find our identity in the fact that we are loved by God rather than we have to work for God's love, it changes everything. It changes everything. In fact, I would say this. If you are in Christ, you are unconditionally loved. See, as humans, we love with conditions. And some of you guys can sit there and be like, oh no, I love unconditionally. Have you driven in South Florida lately? I guarantee you, you don't love unconditionally. Or have you gone on Facebook and seen somebody's political view that is different than yours? Hello. See, we love with conditions, and our problem is that we think God loves us with conditions. See, you loved your kids when they were throwing up on you or when they got sick or when they get older and they get a little attitude and maybe they talk back a little bit, it doesn't matter, it doesn't stop you from loving them. See, you love them unconditionally because they're yours. Not because of their performance, 
but because of their position. That's the same way that God loves us, not because of our performance and what we can do, but because of our position as his son or as his daughter. See, when we step into the security of a relationship with Jesus, he just wants to love us and he wants to bless us. I mean, when your kids, when they just come and they just cuddle up to you on the couch, or they want to sit down and they have, want to have a conversation with you, I mean, your heart just begins to melt. And what do you want to do? You want to bless those kids. And just like your heavenly father, when you step into that relationship, he wants to bless you. It was like the prodigal son in Luke 15 who went away and squandered all of his father's wealth and his inheritance that he wanted early. And he went out and he spent it all. And he came walking home with his head held low. And what did the father do when he saw his son? Did he stand there and did he, did he give him a lecture? No, he started blessing him. He said, go get the robe and put it on my son. Go get some jewels and put them on his hand. Go get some sandals and put it on his feet. That calf that we've been fattening up, go slaughter it because we're going to be a party because he wanted to bless his son because he was back in fellowship with the father. And when we can find our identity in a God that loves us unconditionally, it sets us free spiritually. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 8, 38 and 39. I love this verse. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, I don't think Gomer could truly accept the fact that she was loved. And just like her, the voices of her past, the voices of your past can rob you of an amazing future. Because she listened to those voices of her past more than she listened to the fact that she was loved. When you find your identity in Christ, the next thing that you realize is that you're fully valued. And I've had so many people ask me about this and they've said, Sheila, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian, so if I'm not a Christian, am I not valued? And let me talk to you for a second. You are valued. Every single person in this room God with his own hands uniquely custom designed you he created you but apart from Christ the only value that you will ever know is the value that this world places on you and the value that this world places on you is temporary and it's fleeting and this world will change its mind on you in a moment and God will never change his mind on you. And there's somebody that needs to hear that today. God has not changed his mind on you.
you belong to him. And when you belong to him, it's not that you become valued. It's you realize that you are valuable. The last thing that happens when you find your identity in Christ is that you're completely accepted. See, so much of our life, it has conditions. When we meet new friends, it's like, am I going to mesh with them? Do they think the same way that I do? Are they kind of, the, will we jive together? I mean, it's, it's conditional. When we go into a new job or we step into an interview, what do you have to do? You have to pre present your resume, uh, your past history. And based on your past history, maybe I'll accept you for this position if you're good enough or you have the right qualifications or all of those things. Our acceptance is conditional. But see, Jesus stands there with the resume of our life and he looks at our past and he says, I see all that. I see everything that you've done, but guess what? I made you and I created you anyways knowing what you were going to do. And you know what? Not only that, I went ahead and I arranged the price to pay for it. He's saying, I've accepted you right where you're at. You know, I'm not sure Gomer could get that. You know, I think she probably thought Hosea's Hosea's going to lead me one day. He's going to realize what I did, and he's going to leave me. He's going to hear a story about something in my past, and you know what? He's just going to walk out, so I'm going to walk out first because I know Hosea's going to turn his back on me. And I think there's a lot of people sitting in this room right now that have some spiritual insecurity that are saying, you know what? God might just turn his back on me one day. I'm going to do something or he's going to realize something about me. And he's going to change his mind on me. And let me tell you something. In Christ and only in Christ are you completely accepted. And there is nowhere else on this planet that will offer you complete acceptance other than Jesus Christ. See, he accepts us right where we're at. But he doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want us to keep living in our past and our insecurities. See, when Gomer went back to Hosea, he was like, come back and, and live a different life. Live a new life. Live this incredible life. He's saying, I love you. Can you just leave all that other stuff behind and just come with me because I have something incredible for your future. And I don't think we would look at Gomer and be like, oh my gosh, can you believe he is asking her to give up prostitution? I mean, can you believe it? He's asking her to leave that. No, we look at it and we go, oh my gosh, the opportunity that she has to live a brand new life, the invitation to be completely accepted no matter where she's at, no matter what's happened in her past. Oh my goodness. What an amazing opportunity. And the reality is true for us.
God's looking at you right now. And he's saying, I have so much better. Will you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? There's some of you guys that, like me, found your identity in your insecurity for a long long time. And you've walked around and you've walked in that insecurity, physical insecurity, emotional insecurity, financial insecurity, spiritual insecurity, and it has defined your life for a long time. Or maybe you're sitting in this room today and you know what? You've walked away from God. Or maybe you've never even found your identity in Christ and today you're saying, Shayla, I want to establish my identity in a Savior and in a Father who loves me unconditionally, who fully values me, and who accepts me completely. And today's the day I want to refocus my life and find my identity in that. If that's you today, will you slip up your hand? I'd love to pray for you. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and I thank you for each and every person sitting in this room. And Lord, there's nothing that can happen in life that will exempt us from your love. God, I thank you that you always provide us with a fresh start. And Lord, I ask that if we've become stale in our relationship with you or we've found our identity in other things, that today would be a day that we would refocus, that we would find our security and our hope and our joy and our peace. Not in what we can do, Father, but what you already did. Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.